0: This is French Tech Podcast, where you'll find interviews of tech ecosystem actors sharing their stories with La French Tech London. We hope you enjoy it.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Elena Luniboteri. I am on the board of French Tech London, and I lead the FinTech Group. It is my pleasure to welcome Shruti Ajitsaria from Alana Novare. Welcome, Shruti. Thank you. So you created the accelerator for Allen & Overy and have been running it since its inception. It's one of the few legal tech incubators in the UK. Tell us more about the genesis of this effort and your role. Sure.
0: Um, So I had been at Allen & Overy my whole life, um, practicing as a derivatives lawyer actually, and doing everything in the way that the previous associate had done and never really thinking about how I could do things differently or better. And I'd also just add that I'm not particularly IT savvy, um, but I, on the side, on my weekends, have also been doing some angel investing for quite a while. And so I had one Sunday where a company came to me and they said that they had created a platform for negotiating derivatives documents. And the platform made just perfect sense to me. And I thought it was such a wonderful idea. And I thought that it's something that our clients would really benefit from. And it made me realise that there is so much legal tech out there that never really makes its way into the hands of lawyers, because a company like that approaching Alan Overy might perhaps go to our IT um, department or perhaps to our procurement department, but it would never come directly to a derivatives lawyer to look at. And I felt that actually, in order to allow a law firm to progress and to move forward, you had to flip the model somewhat and to push the lawyers and make them feel inspired and show them what, what the art of the possible was. So two and a half years ago, um, I was given the funding to open Fuse, which is a physical space in the London office where we host um, tech companies that are relevant to other and lawyers. So this time we we're actually doing a virtual cohort um, and we had a, about 120 applicants and we took about nine legal tech companies. On top of that, we also took four fintech companies on the back of recommendations from some of our bank
1: clients. So that's what we've been doing over the last two and a half years. Can you tell us more about the selection process? You mentioned 120 applicants and a far lower number who have been retained. Yeah, sure. So I think almost the sort of the, the
0: most important part of my job, I would say, is the selection process. Um, and to me, I always think of it like, Um, you know, how you might create a primary school class, meaning that you don't want all people who are, all kids who were born in September and all children who are very very confident, but rather when someone is putting together a primary school class they would want a mix of someone with a September birthday but someone with a June birthday and some confident children and some quieter children and some who like art and some who like music and that's what makes a real perfect balance. And my job is not just to choose the best in class legal tech, but also to create a really good balance. So when we get the applications in and we just ask people to fill in a really simple form, um, myself and a few of us internally will do a first cut and we'll narrow that down to a field of companies that we think are really interesting to Alan Overy and at various different stages of development. So we're really happy to take, I think a misconception is that we only take startups at a particular stage. We're actually really happy to take very, very early stage startups. We're actually also very happy to take, you know, properly, very grown up companies. Really what we want is a mixture so that any lawyer within Allen Overy, be it a partner, be it the head of Allen Overy, be it a trainee, can walk in the door and find something that resonates and lands with them. So once we've narrowed down the field, the second thing that we'll do is go to Alan & Overy Partners throughout the network and say, listen, these three companies are relevant to you. Are you interested in this? Does it solve a problem you have? And would you be prepared to act as the partner sponsor? And if they have a real interest in those companies, then we'll invite those companies along to a selection day. So the selection day is the one time when we ask all the companies to come in and they'll do a 15 minute presentation and then they'll have questions that are given to them by a panel, which includes ourselves, um, Alan Avery, the partner sponsor, and um, a couple of clients. Um, and following on from that, we'll see who we think, you know, the best in class legal tech is in various different verticals, if you like. But also we'll try and make sure that we have a really good mix. So as I said, you know, we'll look at the stage of development. We'll look at the size of the team. look at for example we don't want all um, legal tech companies that will only work for our banking department but rather also something might be of interest to our real estate department or an employment department Um, and once we've done that process that's how we narrow it down to the final in this
1: case nine. That's a really thorough process. I I guess what got me intrigued is uh, the involvement of your clients. Can can you tell us a bit more also about the work you may do downstream to marry up maybe some of those startups' applications to your corporate clients? And does it create any synergies, even from a law firm relationship standpoint, with those corporates?
0: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things for me about doing Pew's actually is as an associate, I was always taught by kind of our marketing and BD department that. You don't just want to be the lawyer for the client. You want to be their strategic investor, strategic advisor and you want to understand the business well enough that you can have conversations with the client, which don't just revolve around the deal. And being honest, whilst I was doing derivatives, I always found it very difficult to get a macro view of the client and a sort of a, a sort of a higher level vision of what they were doing and what I was doing that might be of interest to them. And Fuse, I think, has really given me an opportunity to speak to people within our clients who are saying, OK, well, what is this company or this bank going to look like over the next five years? Um, what sorts of things should we be experimenting with and learning about and what collaborations should we be entering into? Um, and it gives us an opportunity at Alan & Overy to kind of be side by side on that journey, but not necessarily whilst providing legal advice, but just as a fellow collaboration partner, and I think that has been one of the best things that has come out of it. Um, and the thing I think that enables us to do that in a very honest way is that for the, for the most part, we don't tend to take investment stakes in the companies. So we can have in our, in our portfolio, if you like, at any given time, say 10 companies on average and we'll know you know in our heart of hearts we'll know you know these companies are really, really good, and the team is strong and we 'll know you know the product on these other two are not so good, and it doesn 't do quite what it says, and the team isn't quite as as strong and confident as you might think at first glance, and knowing all of those things, I think does help um have a really good relationship with the client because when they ask me for a recommendation, I am always first and foremost honest because you know Take the take the lawyer out of um, a derivatives role, but ultimately, you know, I still have that lawyer client relationship kind of really ingrained in me. So I think it's really helped have a different relationship with the clients and help us really be on a journey with them.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, angle you bring here in terms of evolving this law firm corporate relationship. That has tended to be very traditional and very scripted so far. So you're really changing the model to a degree.
0: Yeah, and I think we were very lucky this time. So in order to get the nominations for the fintechs, we spoke to about 10 of our bank clients. And that was, you know, maybe the head of innovation or the head of fintech or the CTO or, you know, somebody who was in strategic investments and we were able to have really interesting conversations about you know what will this bank look like in five years time and which companies are you working with to get you there and then we met about 30 fintechs Mm -hmm. before we narrowed down the fintech sort of element of the cohort to four companies which are the four that we think that we can add value to too so you know what we what we don't want to do is just have companies in our cohort just you know sort of sitting there we want to make sure that they're companies that we can genuinely add value to that we can really help progress and we see that as a really good opportunity again to work with our clients in a slightly different way
1: so now switching gears a little bit and tackling the elephant in the room how has covid impacted your work as a mentor sitting on board of startups or coaching them through your cohort as an investor or even in the relationship with the large corporates you partner with at fuse um, so I'd say first and foremost, what it has done is, for lawyers at least, brought technology and the
0: use of technology very much to the fore. I think it, it it's become very apparent to me that as lawyers sitting in a law firm at least, we've had a lot that's been a, that's papered over the cracks of our inefficiencies. So by that I mean, you know, there may have been easier ways for me to review a document whilst I was sitting in my desk on and over in the London office. But what I might have done is sent it to my PA and asked him to print it off and highlighted you know, definitions and cross-checked it with something on my screen and something on a big piece of paper. And when that piece of paper, you know, when I did a new version of the document, thrown away one piece, printed off again, you know, these huge 500 page documents. And I think without having all of those sort of additional resources at hand whilst we're all working at home, it's really made clear to me that there are such inefficiencies in just our day-to-day working practices. And a lot of what we have in the cohort is helping to create efficiencies. So for me, I think um, one thing that Covid has done, which is positive, taking the positive first, is really pushed forward the use of technology and made people much more accepting of it because they're kind of forced to, because they haven't had access to the things that previously used to enable them to be inefficient. Um, So if I could just give you a concrete example we have one company in our FUSE cohort which is called Define and they help you to review a document by um, bringing up the definitions in the document and on a split screen bringing up what the meaning of that definition is and it is genuinely just a very helpful easy to use tool that enables you to review a document as a lawyer and make sure that your document is Complete and that you've used all of the definitions correctly, and that you know the whole thing ties together nicely. Um, and we've really, I think, coronavirus has sped up um, our use of define because it's genuinely useful to people, and they can't print off documents multiple times at home and do, do the inefficient process that they used to. So, I think that's def- definitely the positive. I think. Um, On the negative side what it has done is made it much more difficult to create a sense of community and collaboration and for us Fuse really has always been about community and collaboration. So community which melds together the lawyers, our legal tech team and the cohort members and our clients um, and collaboration between all of those parties and not sitting in the same physical space and not having the day-to-day interactions has, I think, made that
1: a bit bit harder. This is a point we've heard from previous speakers as well. This lack of connection in person is something we all need to adjust to. I'd like to continue with this topic of change that has been forced upon us in a short period of time. From a management standpoint, have you found it easy to adjust to remote working? Do you have any tips you could share with your audience? Any tools that have been helpful to engage with people or keep your team motivated? Yeah, I think what has been interesting is, I mean, you you know from personal
0: experience with me that um, I think it's in part because I work part time. My diary is always so, so busy whilst I was in the office, I used to assume, I think, that I would speak to my PA every day, that I would speak to my front of house every day, that I would speak to my secondi every day. And I never really made time, deliberate time, to have those meetings. And one thing that has changed for me is that we now have a daily team meeting every morning. Um, and I think that's actually been to the benefit of the team and to myself. So um, just, I suppose, at the beginning of lockdown, one thing that everybody was asked to do, I think, was find ways to stay in touch with your team. And I don't know whether people have kept that up or not, but I definitely have kept that up. And I think it has changed the way I work with them going forward, even when we go back into the office. Um, we, we and Overy, have been using a sort of a mix of tools. So we have WebEx and we have Teams um, and very occasionally we can use Zoom. Um, I, I think more and more what I'm starting to think of doing is just actually driving to meet clients for a coffee you know for those those who live nearby to me actually just starting to arrange to maybe have lunch with a client or have a coffee with a client because I do think um that that sort of one-on-one interaction is really special and it's a really really important way of developing relationships so as as we come slowly um out of the restrictions in London uh, you know for as long as we do I think I'm going to take the opportunity to try and um create opportunities to meet, meet people face-to-face a bit more.
1: Do you expect that we will carry on with an hybrid model for work? You were already working part-time, do you anticipate more flexibility on how we think about work and where work gets to take place? Yeah, I think the one benefit, I mean I've worked part-time for about 10 years now um,
0: and I've also tried to work from home, Um, you know the odd day here and there and I definitely think particularly within law firms there's always been a perception that work from home is not a real thing um, and that if you're working from home you're not working just as hard as you would have done in the office and I think the one thing that will really help people who had a flexible working arrangement prior to this is that everyone now has a pretty solid understanding of the fact that working from home is not easy and it's not a day off and actually you can be every bit as effective, if not more, on a day that you're working from home as you would be in the office. And I, I, you know, it seems to me at least that, particularly in London, I don't know what it's like elsewhere. I'd be really interested to know what it's like actually in, in France, but um, particularly in London, I think there is a sense that this is the new normal going forward and people will just do a few days in the office and a few days maybe from home. And so I think that will help people with flexible working arrangements because everything that they do will be treated just as seriously as people who had just the the bog standard five days in the office. I think from a cultural perspective, that's really important.
1: To your question about uh, productivity elsewhere, I have not seen definitive statistics, but I expect we will get some down the road. However, uh, the anecdotal testimony we have collected on that podcast is people feel like they've been surprisingly more productive. I don't think they expected that outcome because the beginning may have really felt like messy or figuring out the logistics, homeschooling in parallel of working, a topic you are very familiar with, I believe. But overall, people were surprised how much more they could do in one day and how much time they saved. In particular, no more commute. That provided a massive gain in productivity.
0: Yeah, and I definitely would agree on the the commute. I think if I think I used to spend somewhere between two and a half hours or three hours doing a commute every day and that's time that's gone straight into work for me so I am definitely definitely more productive being at home and in addition whilst I do miss having my colleagues around me and I do miss the coffee chat it also means that an hour of work is an hour of work because I'm not surrounded by people who are sort of interrupting me and you know I am kind of keeping to my day and not being derailed by somebody who just sort of pops up at my desk and says, you know, have you done this? So I think there are genuinely some benefits. Of course it is hard. um, And I think, you know, a hybrid would be brilliant if at some point we can get to that safely. But I, I definitely think that it's good for people, at least within law firms, who previously thought that there was only one way in which you could work, and that was in the office five days a week. It's really, really good for those people to see that that is not true. And I hope that they will remember this in the years to come.
1: Going back to the startups in the Fuse Accelerator, could you share perhaps some example of how the crisis may have impacted them? Maybe an interesting adaptation they made?
0: Yeah, sure. So
1: we, um, we've actually done a survey
0: jointly with a few others, so Fuse, um, Deloitte, Barclays and Mishkondorea's labs and the the results of that survey will be coming out shortly I hope Um, but what I think the general trends that we are seeing is we have a lot of UK-based startups who have taken advantage of the government support so for example the furlough scheme Um, for the most part on funding it's been interesting that legal tech funding doesn't seem to be slowing down at all and even yesterday i think i saw a report of chloryllis having raised a round and so that you know i think anyone who was kind of mid-funding has seems to have managed to successfully completed that round which is great news um one piece of interesting um data that came out of that survey was that people aren't necessarily still getting the best out of their investors and I'd say if I had some advice to legal tech startups, it would be, you know, use this opportunity to really ask your investors for what you want and communicate with them. You know, we're all communicating differently and more. And so even, in, even if you're not used to asking your investors for help with things, actually, I think this is a, a really good opportunity to build a different sort of relationship with your investors and one where they're, Sort of more personally invested in your business, and they're they're kind of helping more with the, with your net with the network or you know whatever sort of business help they need. So that's kind of one thing that came out of the data that I found surprising. Um, but legal tech is in a in a pretty good place, and I think that's just because of the thing that I mentioned earlier, which is that in general I think lawyers have been inefficient and haven't had any sort of real urgency for change. Whereas this situation has forced upon lawyers. Um, this just a, a, a need to recognise that we have been massively inefficient. And so tools such as Define or such as Avoca, which is a document automation tool, actually are very much in demand because they're creating the efficiencies that we all knew in the back of our minds we needed to have, but we never really had any urgency to adopt.
1: I'm wondering if the urgency to keep track with constantly changing regulation has also been a force for change and help with faster adoption. Could that be a factor in your mind? Yeah, and I think, yeah, yes, definitely. And I think actually projects like the Bank of England
0: and the FCA's digital regulatory reporting project, which um, we hosted um, a phase of in Pews, which is just around looking at making reporting um machine readable as well as human readable I think those sorts of things will really start to take off again because it creates an efficiency that everyone recognizes is necessary but it creates an efficiency which where you don't have lots of you know a a regulatory team sitting in the same room talking actually it just makes things more accurate I think as well and it gives everyone just a sense of confidence I think is difficult to achieve when everybody is working separately at home
1: on their own systems? I have heard about that project before. It seems now the time is right to accelerate. We have a sufficient amount of data, we have tools to connect people across geographies. We will probably see more solutions and faster adoption. I think adoption, I th- yeah, to your point about adoption, I think that's always been one of the biggest
0: hurdles. And now people, you know, people who I never dreamt would move outside of Word or, or do anything different are having to log on to Webex and do video calls, and they are having to use different systems because otherwise it is too hard for them to work at home in the normal way. You know, people who, and I'm one of them actually, I used to print off absolutely everything. Um, and, and you just can't do that anymore. You can't work like that and be efficient. So not to say I don't do any printing, <laughs> but um, I certainly print off a lot less. Um, and I, I think people are just having to evolve as, as lawyers. And I definitely I definitely think that will open people's mindsets. I mean that the next time someone like me says, oh, well, have you tried this new piece of technology? It does X, Y, and Z. The response won't be, well, I don't have time to figure this out. The, the response might more likely be, well, I can see that this will probably be helpful. And I know that these things don't take very long for me to figure out. So I, I'm hoping that we'll have a much
1: sort of more open mindset. I hope you're right. Riding this theme of evolution I want to bring us back to Fuse, which operates in a wonderful location. I've actually been lucky to visit. Of course, now you're operating remotely. So how do you expect the Fuse model to evolve in the long term? Um, I think what
0: Fuse always did was look for legal tech companies that would help us work differently. And I think that we will carry on doing that. So we're still looking for the best in class legal tech we're still a home for people to come to, we still would like to create and be part of the London Legal Tech, tech ecosystem um, and community. But the, the secondary piece that I think we've addressed much more in this cohort than ever before, and I think um, will have much more of an emphasis going forward is how can we as lawyers be proactive in understanding what subject matters are going to come our way and what we need to learn about so just to go back to the digital regulatory reporting project for a moment because I think that's a really good example in order for the regulators to be able to make regulation machine readable and also human readable there's quite a lot um, there are quite a lot of questions that would arise um, one is around the governance of that so how can you put in place a structure that says you know how you what you would do to clear any conflicts between how something might appear from machine readable versus if it's human readable and if the answers come out differently or you know if a new piece of regulation is um, is created, how can you agree that it's clear enough that it that it could fall within the scope of something which could be machine readable? you know there are quite a lot of decisions that need to be made um, and and I think, you know, we um, at Almanobre we have a, um, a group called ANO Consulting. So that's the sort of thing that we could very much look at, um, and we'd have to learn about. But we can't do that unless we've looked at these sorts of issues previously many, many times. So I expect for our model to evolve in the sense that I would like to have many more conversations with a wider group of clients to say, what are you looking at in the next five years and how can we proactively learn about these things by working with the companies that you hope to collaborate with to make sure that we're really good lawyers. So not just that we're using the right tools to make us efficient and accurate and that we're presenting the work in a way that you are expecting it to be presented, but also that we understand the content well enough and that we're not just picking up information from maybe i don't know a text pa- textbook or a white paper but rather that we've lived and breathed the technologies that you're using so we really do understand you know where the gaps are between the technology and the law does that does that make
1: sense yeah no absolutely it does make sense and i think that would be a very positive evolution for your clients yeah and i think as you know as a
0: surprise you know i think it's nice for clients that we're sort of we're having the conversation and we're just saying we're just interested to know what you're doing and we just want to be better for you and we're not charging you anything for it you know surprise surprise we're a law firm and we're you know we're, we're proactively trying to learn about things so that you know in three years time or in five years time if you ask me about digital assets if you ask me about blockchain if you ask me about confidential computing you know you ask me about aml kyc and the best in class for those sorts of things we have something to point to, which we have spent a lot of time trying to understand.
1: It might certainly give you an edge at better understanding upcoming regulations on AI, liabilities related to writing algorithm, synthetic data, etc. Being very involved, as you described, surely is beneficial to Alan and Overy, including for its core business. Yeah,
0: I think so. And I think um, just kind of going back to the question you asked around the model originally, I think the one thing that we really benefited from when it was a physical space was the ease of bringing Alan and Overy people into the conversation because it was you know very easy to just call somebody up from the desk and say oh would you mind just popping down we've got xyz here and you know we're having a really interesting conversation so could you just pop down and I feel like that's the one thing that having a virtual cohort kind of lacks so what we're relying on much more now is on the a partner sponsors who are the people who at the beginning put their hand up and said yes this is a company I'm really interested in mentoring and helping and you know helping send my associates to help with or whatever um, but we are much more reliant on those ANA partner sponsors And, and, you know, from my perspective, I would say they have really put in a lot of work on this cohort because they've really stepped up and taken on a load, which is much larger than the loads that have been taken on previously.
1: So hopefully they will be happy to get back to a more standardized model when the time comes. (laughs) I
0: think so. I I like being around people. Um, So I think working from home just generally is it, it is productive and we are definitely trying our hardest to make it work but I think it lacks the personal touch and it lacks the kind of the ebb and flow of natural conversation the things that come out of those and the the sort of the surprise initiatives that can come out of a chat by the coffee machine.
1: So now another area I'd like to explore is your thoughts on talents. Is this crisis making it harder or easier to recruit? You don't have the benefit of meeting people face to face. Have you had any challenges in, in hiring? Yeah, I mean, I've done a few interviews
0: um, over zoom and it i think you can still get the measure of a person um i think the thing that is more interesting actually is not so much the interview process so much as it is what people will do i think those will with jobs seem to be quite unwilling to take any sort of move um, because they just value the stability right now um, and meanwhile i think we're about to have a number of people entering the job market so, I think actually, in some ways, particularly for the startups, actually, recruiting talent should become easier because I think that there will be a flood of really good people available. Um, but equally, I think it's hard for those who are sitting in seats that they're not particularly happy in and who don't feel brave enough to make a move right now. Um, because I do think this is going to go on for quite a long time. And I think it'll be hard for those people to continue in a job they're unhappy in for a very extended period of time.
1: I think it's going to be an interesting job market, peer-ups when with expanded geography. Do you have an, any perspective on that? Um, not really, just yet. I think you know. I think
0: the thing that's been interesting, interesting about this is the ebb and flow. So you know, about a week ago, London looked like it was in quite a good place, but this morning it looks like we're probably not. And I think do you know what I mean? It's all such a quickly dy- moving, dynamic situation that you can't even really look at a particular sort of geographic area and think, yeah, you know, you are doing very well. And so therefore, this is going to become the hub going forward because as we've all seen, it can change just within a matter of days. So, so I think it's going to take quite a long time for this to really play out. And you know, for example, what's happening in America—how long it, you know it will take for the situation to settle down there, and then to see what the long-lasting impact will be. I think. You know, yeah, I was.
1: I, I was also thinking about you know, from a recruitment standpoint. I don't know if, because you know, um, as a lawyer, you you have to be approved by um, a particular country, I guess, to, to work there. So you, it's not comp- a job that is immediately transferable from one country to the next, but to, to some extent it could be. Uh, I was more thinking about your ability to recruit from completely different locations than you would have expected otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think part of the problem with law, though, is just that you do you, do need, to be, a, you need to be qualified in the, the right place but also just for a place like Overy, what we've encountered is quite unexpected tax implications where somebody's perhaps gone home or was stuck in, a, in New York and wants to work from New York actually the situation has been much more complex than I think any of us were really expecting mm-hmm. um, so and I think what is not going to help particularly in the UK is the impact on Brexit and then looking at what UK lawyers can practice post-Brexit is also going to be very different to what we can practice now so uh, I think it's actually quite a complicated situation and not made particularly easy by the fact that right now everybody wants to be accommodating you know we all want for people to be in a place perhaps if your parents live abroad or you, you, do you know what I mean you have a whole yeah. day home you know everybody wants to be accommodating but actually it's not
1: particularly for lawyers, it's really not that easy. Yeah, I hadn't thought about neither the tax implication or Brexit, but I guess, yeah, that does make it really challenging. Uh, I wanted to ask you also if you've been surprised positively or maybe impressed by some good initiatives or um, new business model emerging in this crisis in legal tech or otherwise. It could be in other industries, health tech, travel, uh, education, etc.
0: I mean, one observation I'll make on this um, current crisis is I think it has been a real opportunity to see um, good leaders, and it's really shone a light, I think, on bad leaders. And that, I think, has been the most um, stark observation that I've had. So not not really directly answering your question, I don't think. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things that A&O have done really, really well is communicated with the entirety of the firm and you know even though I'm not sitting in the London office I've never felt more a part of AO or never felt more loved by AO really just because we've had some really nice wonderful personal messages of support from our senior partner saying this is what I'm doing at home here's some pictures of my children at home um last week I had a hamper arrive at my door to say thank you for all your hard work and I think Actually, you know, going back to the thing you asked about a management perspective and how easy it is to keep people motivated. Actually, really good managers, I think, are building bonds with the people that they work with that will be really long lasting and people in many, many years will look back and remember how well or badly they were treated right now. Um, Conversely, it's been really interesting to see where some managers have retreated and not understood, I think, the cultural mood music of COVID quickly enough. So where there's been a lack of communication and a lack of empathy and a lack of a sense that we're in this together, I think those companies will really suffer in the long term. Um, And going back to your question on then talent, it will make it really hard for them to retain talent because, you know, I think this has been a really emotional time and people have either built very strong emotional bonds with their workforce Or else they've really let them
1: down and I don't think there's very much in between. Interesting and I like the example you gave of the uh, hamper (laughs) to show some uh, encouragement and appreciation, that's really nice.
0: It was really nice and another thing that we did at ANA which I thought was just lovely was um, a run around the world. So somebody just set up a really easy thing where you could log how much you had run or cycled or swam and you could log your miles and we all did it together and anyone who participated received an Alan Overy t-shirt in the post that you could wear whilst you were doing your exercise. And things like that I think are such easy wins. You know, it's it is a way of creating
1: a community in a time when I think people feel very alone. That's an interesting idea. Some folks have organized TGIF on Zoom every Friday. The sport initiative also is a great one. It must have been quite motivating for your office. Yeah, I, just, I
0: thought it was lovely, and it was a really nice, a really nice thing for us all to do together, and to you know to raise money for our charity. So for that, for the Univeri charity. So I just, you know, what a nice way. You know, I think one of the things that Fuse lacks in actually is it's a physical space in the London office, and actually previously it's been quite hard for us to feel like a global initiative, and I think COVID gives us an opportunity to be less London centric and be more embedded with you know all of our firms and our international network. But I think the same actually of most kind of UK based law firms, which is oftentimes they can feel very London centric. So an event such as let's do a run that everyone can participate in um, that that raise money for our global charity is very cohesive
1: in a way that maybe other initiatives whilst we were in the office might not have been. So I'd like to bring us to a close and ask what is your next big move or next challenge when the pandemic is over? Um, Gosh, that's a big question, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So this
0: cohort, I think we will probably see out until the end of this year. And I think we will probably see it out virtually because what I don't really want to do is um, what I suspect is going to happen in most places, which is, you know, we'll go in for a bit and then the whole thing will get shut down and we'll have to come back. And I think that will be actually just too difficult and distracting. And so I think we'll probably see this cohort out um, virtually. And then you know for the next cohort i would hope we'll be back in the office but as i say for me it will be about refocusing the effort somewhat and looking at what our clients are looking at over the next three to five years and how we can make sure that we are proactively learning about those things so whilst this time we've got four fintechs in the cohort i think next time you know we might consider having nominations from some corporate clients Um, looking at something perhaps in the ESG area so I think there's you know there's quite a lot to to kind of change um for the next cohort but I I do hope we'll be doing it back in the office
1: could you share something fun you've learned about yourself during the lockdown (laughs) um well so I you know I've
0: been at home this whole time I've got three children and um you know I work part-time so that I can spend time with my children on a Friday so I've always thought that I had a pretty decent balance and I think one thing that I've definitely learned about myself in lockdown is that in life I, I'm always busy I'm always moving you know I do a million things I'm a governor of a school I'm, a, um, I'm on the board of um, ZSL so I do some stuff for London Zoo and Whipsnade you know I'm always going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and I kind of in my head thought that I was making up for that with respect to my children by being off on a Friday Um, And being at home and seeing them, you know, at breakfast time or as they wake up and at the end of the day and maybe going for a walk in the evening uh, has made me realise that my kids are just growing up and I'm not participating in their day-to-day life in the way that I kind of thought I was. So I think something interesting that I've learned about myself in lockdown and, you know, I I think it's difficult really to face is that even being a part-time working person hasn't really given me necessarily the time and the space to talk to my children in the way that I would like to. So I think one lesson that I will carry forward is just, you know, trying to really carve out time to speak to my kids because it has been really lovely and I've really enjoyed it and I love my kids and 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 actually I really enjoy their company and they're growing older so quickly. And um, so that for me is the one thing that I've really learned about myself, which is that actually working part-time wasn't the solution.
1: That's an interesting one for the parents in the audience, and definitely re re-evaluating, uh, time management and, and priorities. So thank you for sharing. That's fine. It's a pleasure. It's been really so nice to speak to you. Now I would like to open up for questions. Yes, I have one question. I'm Caroline from French Tech London. I would like to come back, um, Shruti, on what you mentioned about your next cohort, um, in that you, you said, um, maybe a bit different balance from what it is at the moment and do you have any more um i mean in terms of trends do you see any specific trends emerging in terms of your clients expect, expectations in the long run any more anything more specific or you're just waiting and you will analyze um uh, the change Yeah,
0: I mean, for me, one of the most interesting things about speaking to the 10 banks we spoke to to curate the fintech aspect of this cohort was actually what I thought they were all going to say they were focusing on wasn't really the case. So I thought there would be a lot about maybe blockchain and smart contracts and there really was less than I imagined, and people had a completely different focus than, than what I was expecting. So similarly with the corporates, and um, you know, if I look at something like prop tech or insure tech, I, I think the important thing for us is not to go in with any preconceived ideas of what we're going to have to focus on, um, and actually to go in with a really open mind, I, because I think that's where we'll really learn the lessons about what people are actually doing. So sorry to answer your question with an I don't really know, but genuinely, I, I think until we have the conversations, I, I genuinely don't really know. Um, Hello, I have a question. I'm Elise from the French Embassy and the digital attaché there. Um, So I have a question about gaining efficiency during um, the lockdown thanks to the usage of technologies. I was wondering how can the mainstream usage of legal tech influence jobs in law offices in the long run? Um, So Sorry, I, I didn't catch the end of that question. Yeah, um, how can the usage of legal tech influence jobs in law offices in the long run? How, how can the use of legal tech influence, oh, sorry. It influence jobs in law offices no, in the long run? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that we've noticed over the last sort of two years since we've been doing Fuse is that um, there is a cultural resistance, I think, for lawyers to accept that they need technology experts in the conversation and I think there's just been a sense that as lawyers we kind of know what we're doing and we want to do it by ourselves and we want to work independently and we want to be in control and we want to be in charge um, and we have a legal tech team in a it's really very well respected and really well integrated and we're lucky I think but probably very unique in that um, and I think in the long term what it will do is create a realization in our lawyers that they do not know it all and that they are reliant on other people and for a long time i think particularly in academic circles um, and, and within government actually there's been quite a lot of discussion around how the role of a legal professional is going to change and actually within a good team you won't just have lawyers anymore you'll also have technicians and I think this period of time where people have been so reliant on the technology and the people behind it and the people who are you know, putting it in place and training them and teaching them and helping the technology to evolve, I think that relationship will become more even. And I think people will respect more the technology teams within their law firms and perhaps collaborate with them more and include them more. And I think that's absolutely for the
1: best. Well, I guess it's just... Um... Now, time for me to thank you, Shruti, for um, your time today and uh, your insight on legal tech. It was great to have you on this podcast. Thank Thank you so much for inviting me on.
0: This is it. Thank you for listening to French Tech Podcast by La French Tech London. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more episodes on our website, frenchtechlondon.com and on your regular podcast channels. See you soon.